And tonight, as we are gathered here on this Good Friday, uh, you may wonder, what is Good Friday good for? Really? I mean, think about it. Why do we call it Good Friday? You should think about what we're celebrating and talking about. Uh, there's not much that seems on the surface good from the human level that happened on Good Friday. And so tonight, in just our focus a little bit around the Word of God, I want to just share with you what is good about Good Friday. Of course, today, Good Friday is the Friday before Easter or Resurrection Sunday that we'll celebrate this Sunday morning as we gather together and commemorate uh, tonight the crucifixion, the death of Christ, and of course on Sunday, on Easter Sunday, we'll celebrate His resurrection. This weekend is the most significant weekend in the Christian calendar, uh, significant for what took place today that we celebrate, and certainly the culmination on the third day that Jesus rose from the dead. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel, and that's really the heart of what we're saying here, that this is of first importance in 1 Corinthians 15. This is the priority. This is the top shelf uh, priority that you should be focused in is the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And so on Good Friday, we remember Jesus willingly going to the cross, being crucified as the sacrifice for our sins. And because of his death and culminating in the resurrection, we are united to him, to those who have received him in faith. So what is the meaning when we call it Good Friday? As I said, Good Friday, as you reflect back on the historicity of this date, doesn't seem exactly very good. If you'd been in Jerusalem on that fateful day, uh, this is maybe what you would have seen. You would have seen jeering crowds, lying witnesses, uh, craven politicians, people screaming, we want Barabbas, brutal torture, folks yelling, crucify him, uh, eyes swollen shut, uh, back, his back cut to ribbons, bloody bruises, piercing screams, blinding pain, stripped naked, sharp thorns, heavy nails, taunted by thieves, a slow agonizing death, a grieving mother, shouts of derision and mockery, shrieks of agony and darkness that would fall upon the day. Now, that's not my recipe of a good day. Good Friday was a day of extremes, darkness and light, hope and sorrow, evil and love, anger and forgiveness. Christians have called this day the day of the crucifixion of Christ, Good Friday, because the Bible tells us it was a day of triumph. It was a day of victory. One scripture that is the only scripture that we'll have on the screen is from Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Paul the Apostle, writing to the church at Colossae, says, 
you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for He forgave all your sins. Let me say that again. He forgave all your sins. And He canceled the record of the charges, which was the law, against us, and He took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities He shamed them publicly by His victory over them in the cross. The day of Good Friday is a day of triumph and victory. Now, if you're like me and you've been raised in church, you might have heard, perhaps even thought, I remember hearing some well-meaning preachers say something that really sounds good and Sounds real preacher-like. If the devil had thought he won on Friday, but he didn't know that Sunday was coming. He thought he won on Friday. He thought it was a victory. And the image of the devil and demons and the minions celebrating the death of Christ, that's a very dramatic picture. In fact, this will date you a little bit, but if you remember Carmen's song, The Champion... How many of you are willing to date yourself to that? You know, the culmination of that is that very imagery and picture of thinking that this was a victory for the devil, but yet, of course, Jesus was resurrected. That was what makes that song so dramatic at its ending. But I wonder if that is really accurate. I wonder if that's really an accurate picture. And I want you just to think with me a little bit maybe round out a better biblical perspective. I think when we consider the full biblical story, I actually think you see the devil wanting to derail Good Friday from happening at all. We know that just as a foundation before God created the world, that in, before Genesis 1 and 2 became a reality, the Bible tells us in Revelation 13, 8, that there was a book filled with the names of those who would be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And this was written before the foundation of the world. The Lamb's book of life existed before the fall of Lucifer and his henchmen. So I would say it's probably safe to say that Satan would know and have some knowledge about this book of life that speaks about the names that would be secured by the blood of the Lamb written before creation ever took place. I'm sure that Satan heard and even observed in the garden when in man's darkest hour that humankind fell and rebelled against sin in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3 when God made that promise that from the seed of the woman, there would bring forth one who would crush the serpent. He certainly heard that and was aware of that. I'm sure he heard and observed the promises God made to Abraham and David. Certainly he was at least aware of the information uh, of Isaiah that spoke about 
the arrival and actions of the Messiah in Isaiah 53. And so I believe that if we think a little bit through Scripture, I think we'll come to a different conclusion that when you look at the biblical record, it's actually the opposite. The devil wanted to stop the crucifixion. And I think this will help answer the question, what is good about Good Friday? Jesus did not want Jesus to go to the cross. Think with me about the birth of Jesus. When Jesus was born, what did he seek through the ruler, Herod, to do? Was to seek to kill this baby. In fact, John would write in Revelation 12 and speak of how Satan actually sought to kill the child that would be the ruler of the nations. We see that in the very beginning, right, of his birth. But Satan failed, didn't he? He failed. We also see that when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, there was a bundle of tricks and items. You know, the Bible says that we are not ignorant of his devices, and certainly Jesus was not ignorant of his devices. And yet, if you think through them, they were all designed to avoid the cross. Jesus, you can't trust the Father. He's, in a, he's not even giving you bread to eat, and you're going to trust him with your death? Listen, you only need to bow your head to me, and I'll give you this inheritance now. You don't have to go through all this humiliation and certainly don't have to go through death. You can avoid it. You can have it all right now. Just leap off the pinnacle of the temple. And as people see you captured in the hands of angels floating down, they will see you in your glory and certainly you won't have to submit yourself. You see what Satan's design is to have Jesus skirt the cross. Forego suffering. And once again, Satan failed. I'm sure Satan would have heard in the conversation Jesus had with his disciples. Certainly, he possessed Judas. He would have heard the conversation over and over again when Jesus would say, for example, in Matthew 20, verse 19, how he must be handed over to the Gentiles to be mocked flogged and crucified, and on the third day that he will be raised. You remember the, G, the, G, uh, or rather the demons, they knew the identity of Jesus. Remember in Luke 4.41, it says how the demons came out of many people as the ministry of Jesus was casting out demons, and the, these demons said, cried out, you are the Son of God. They knew his identity. But Jesus rebuked them and would not even allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. Jesus said, if you see me drive out demons by the finger of God, you will know that the kingdom of God has arrived. That was a sign uh, that the king was here. I like to say it was a sign when Jesus began to take authority over the demonic powers, it was a sign that there was a new sheriff in town. And certainly, 
we know about Peter, don't we? Poor Peter. He tries to, in his best advice, tries to keep Jesus from going to Jerusalem. Right after he hit that home run, when Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And of course, I have to quote it in the King James. He said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, certainly flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar-Jonah, meaning son of Jonah. Jonah was the name of his father. But my father has revealed this to you. Any truth a believer receives is always a revealing by the Holy Spirit. It's never self-discovery. Jesus said, my father has revealed this to you. So we went from that, then Jesus began to talk about the necessity of the Son of Man that must go to Jerusalem and be crucified. And Peter, perhaps feeling a little big in his head, pulled Jesus aside and sought to give a little theological correction to Jesus. And you remember he said, God forbid that that would ever take place. And you remember Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. Why? Because that's what... Satan wants him to do is to avoid Jerusalem, avoid the cross. Peter unwittingly is trying to stop the crucifixion, trying to somehow put his foot in the door of the predetermined plan of God from happening and unwittingly in his ignorance being used by Satan in that well-meaning advice. But Satan, even in that, failed, didn't he? And think about Jesus on the cross. There he is hanging on the cross, and even a last-ditch temptation to avoid the cross. Remember these words from Matthew's Gospel? It says, And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from that cross. Then it says, so also the chief priests and the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, listen, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and then... We will believe him. Jesus, it's not too late. You don't have to die. There still is a way to get around this horrible public execution of the cross. You see, if that would have taken place, then as we read earlier, Satan would have not been disarmed. And Satan would not have been defeated. And there would have been no Lamb of God to provide the sacrifice that was necessary. The only sacrifice needed and necessity for our forgiveness. But Jesus, thanks be to God, did the will of the Father. He died. He rose again for us. (coughs) Defeating 
Satan at every step along the way. Again, Satan failed to prevent Jesus from doing what Jesus said or is said about Jesus and the writer of Hebrews that with joy he went to the cross. He anticipated the cross. We're going to sing in a little bit a song that we sing often on Sunday mornings called Death Was Arrested. And I want you to pay attention as we come to the last stanza of that of that worship song and I'm going to read the words but we'll sing it in a minute but I want them to have impact and the last part the last verses if you will of that song reads our savior displayed on a criminal's cross darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost but then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. Now, there's a lot of knowledgeable theologians in this room and I'm sure you've already turned to your Bibles with the scripture in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 8 that says that none of the rulers of this age understood what took place on Calvary for if they had they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But here's what I want you to consider. Just because Satan has access to the words of God does not mean that he understands the word of God. The Bible says the natural man cannot understand the things of the spirit because they are spiritually discerned. In fact, if you will actually continue reading that very next verse, it says, however, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, that's us as believers, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. Listen, hell is chaos. Hell is is chaos. Satan is a liar. Jesus said he is the father of all lives. Don't give him more credit than is due. Just because he has the information access doesn't mean he can understand the meaning. Even when he was quoting scripture to Adam and even Jesus, he was misquoting and even doing it wrong. Because Satan does not have the Holy Spirit to reveal truth. Isn't that one of the roles and jobs, the Holy Spirit, that Jesus said that he will guide you into what? All truth. Maybe for a moment, Satan and those rebellious demons in some way, maybe they momentarily thought they had defeated when Jesus breathed his last but I don't think so because they knew enough information that they knew that he would breathe again, that he would be resurrected and raised victorious. So the good news of Friday, of why it's a good Friday, is real simple. Satan lost and Jesus won. 
that's a good thing. And that's why it's a good Friday. It's a very good Friday. As we read it earlier, in this way, Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. And he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Friday in Jerusalem was a good day because Jesus won.